This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Gray Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today is Richard Marquez. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm a little tired thanks to my dog, but we're good. (laughs) Yeah, and I should mention that we're recording this in December, but when this comes out, it's January 2nd. So Happy New Year, everybody who's listening to this in the future. Woo! (laughs) It's too bad I don't have my party favorites. That would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So... um. Amy's actually out this week, but we do have a special guest today that we'll be introducing in a few moments. But first, I wanted to read some feedback from the Babel Conference about our last episode. And that was about uh, episode 206, which was favorite character moments from season one. And listener Christopher Baca said, favorite character moments from season one? This should be interesting to listen to. If I had to pick Picard versus Q when they are quoting Shakespeare at one another. Geordi and Troy in Arsenal of Freedom, Picard and Beverly in Arsenal of Freedom, and Riker and Data's Introduction. That was before he listened, and then after he listened, he said, Interesting picks. The psychological test was only referenced in the TOS episode Bread and Circuses. Another Arsenal of Freedom moment is the end when Picard acknowledges Geordi's abilities in handling command of the ship by letting him finish the mission and hand back the ship in one piece. So thanks for the feedback, uh, Christopher. And Richard, I think Arsenal of Freedom is pretty popular for top character moments from season that, one that seems to be uh, yeah, i gather that yeah it's like arsenal freedom arsenal freedom because hmm. we okay. had two in our episode and then he mentioned like three or four of them so <laughs> no code of honor oh come on dude <laughs> that's that's all that's all you richard <laughs> oh uh, i'm sure it is yeah i'm sure it is <laughs> but it was interesting that he did the one with picard and q quoting shakespeare at one another i didn't even think about that <laughs> so, yeah i i forgot i forgot that that was in this this season so yeah yeah oh Cool. Right on. <laughs> right on. Well, um, Alex Post posted, um, I love this idea. Such a great way to cover so many amazing moments throughout the series. And it really makes you think about each episode in a ways I usually haven't before. And I agree with, I completely agree with you, Alex. Uh, thank you for the comment. And uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, when we're, when I was doing the research, I'm, I'm sure it's the same thing for uh, Justin and Amy, but when, when I was doing the research, it, it made me think quite a bit about each episode and had to go through them. So thank you. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about it in a different way when you had to pick out certain character moments instead of looking at your favorite episodes or 
uh, the unsung episodes, when you're just looking at it from the moments, or even before we did the funniest moments, but but just looking at the character moments in one season is great. And I think we're looking forward to doing that over the course of all seven of the seasons plus the four movies. So there's a lot more to look forward to for that. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> Excellent. So let me introduce our special guest. It's Brandy Jackala. Brandy, how are you doing today? I am very well, Justin. Thank you for asking. Well, it's great to have you here. As our listeners might know, you're the the co-host of Live from the Edge. And recently you've done a couple of episodes of the main show of The Edge with Amy Nelson and Heather Barker. And I love those episodes and I think they've gotten a lot of um, really great feedback. So if our listeners haven't heard those, I think they should really go back uh, and, and listen to those and also follow along with you and Bruce Gibson for Live from the Edge, which when this comes out, will be uh, starting up again in a couple of days. Yes, it will. And uh, the curious thing about that is I'm going to be in Florida at the time. So we will see <laughs> if that works out for the live show. I'm uh, Well, hopefully it will. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I was planning on uh, Discovery to come back a week later, and then they announced mm-hmm. it was going to come back earlier. And I thought, oh, well, it's a business trip, so it's not like I can get out of it and rearrange things. So it should be fine, though. Um, hopefully, it's a swanky hotel where they're doing all of this. So hopefully they have mm-hmm. really good Wi-Fi and we should be fine. Yeah, should be good. And I've been on Live from the Edge a couple of times and really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me on there. Oh, it's been our pleasure. You're a lot of fun as a guest and we appreciate it because, yeah, we can do a conversation with two people, but it's always great to have a third voice and a third opinion. So we, we love having guests and thank you for being a double guest, I guess. Double guester? Double guester? Nah. You know what I mean. <laughs> Reoccurring, you know what I mean. Reoccurring guest. Reoccurring guest. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you want to say it a boring way. <laughs> <laughs> or double guest, that's fine. It makes it sound like he's an Oreo or some way like that. <laughs> <laughs> I could go so many places with that, but I won't. Okay. Oh, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so, And this is your first time uh, as a guest on Earl Grey, isn't it? It is. I'm super excited. Excellent. So, yeah, actually tell our listeners your history with Star Trek and with The Next Generation. Well, um, my history with Star Trek started before I was born because my parents were Star Trek fans and uh, they were watching Star Trek when I was in the womb. So I was basically born into it. And uh, I don't remember a time before Star Trek because it's just always been there. I was born in 1973. So all of the reruns were in full force at that time. And that was the best thing. And we it was a it was one of those family gathering things. Oh, Star Trek's on. Let's all get in front of the TV. And it was the same when Next Generation started. Oh, it's Sunday afternoon. Star Trek's going to be on. Everybody get in the living room. We're doing this. And we would all watch it. Even though, you know, even the teenagers, which I was at the time, because I was 14 when that started, and my older sister was 17, and my younger sister was 13, and we all just gathered and we watched it. And so I was just so excited to have more Star Trek, and I know there were some negative viewpoints about it, but I was just like, no, give me the Star Trek, give me the Star Trek. And I already actually knew of Patrick Stewart because of Dune. So I'm just like, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> cool. So yeah, it's uh, it's just always been a part of my life. And I've watched every series and uh, I'm loving Discovery. I'm just happy to have Trek again. So and I love talking about Next Gen. Because awesome. well, yeah, formative years there too. 
Very nice. Well, it's great to have you here talking about the next generation, and it, you know, in particular for this uh, this episode, um, you know, there, I think there was a list of topics that I had sent you, and the one you had picked was talking about Admiral Necheyev. So I wanted to see what caused you to to select her, and you know, thoughts and impressions that you might have had about her character, you know, when you originally saw it, or what what you think now. Just just kind of overall, because we'll talk about the individual episodes in a bit. Sure. Well, my first uh, my first thought is, okay, is this another bad moral? Because <laughs> there have been a lot of bad morals in Next Gen. Well, not a lot, but I mean, in the Star Trek universe as a whole, there have been quite a few bad morals. And I thought, okay, now we got a lady coming in here. This is good. This is good. Please don't end up being evil. Please don't end up being evil. Those were my first thoughts when she first came on the scene, which was relatively late in the game because mm-hmm. she didn't show up until season six. Six, yeah. And so I was just, I was excited to have a woman representing such a high seat of power in Starfleet. And uh, yeah, I'll talk more about her actual character and performance as we get into the episodes. But I just, I always really enjoyed the character and really liked her and respected the character as well. And so when when you gave me that list, I'm like, oh, there's some good ones on here. But yeah, we're going with Necheyev, man. My girl, Necheyev, yeah. Let's do it. Very nice. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about it too. But like Richard, what were your you know initial impressions or kind of overall thoughts about Admiral Necheyev? As a child, I absolutely did not like her. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, no, wait, well, yeah, as a child, because like when I when I watched TNG for the very first time, I did not like her at all, and mainly because it was like, um, it it was like. Jellico coming on to the show um mm-hmm. you know she's very authoritative which which is fine i'm not saying anything bad about it but it was like it changed the whole format in in whatnot and i think that's why i didn't like uh, like her initially um but obviously as i watched it more and more uh you know like it, she kind of grew on me but like yeah when i when i initially um thought of her yeah i really did not like her i was like oh great <sighs> Admiral Natea. <laughs> like, Picar- and then once you came with DS9, yeah, that was even worse. And Picard sometimes felt the same way, like, oh, she's here again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's just like any other person, you know. I mean, it's just like, you know, you know, some days, you know, if uh, my dad comes in and be like, oh, great, my dad's in that mood. You know, it's sort of like <laughs> that thing. Sort of like, oh, great. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, it, it, yeah, it, she grew on me, but I, I, I like her now. <laughs> well, that's okay. good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, like at, at first, like when I was first watching The Next Generation, which is much more recent than, than you guys, but um, like I was watching it and and this character came in and it seemed like, and we'll talk about this, like she does, she's in some important episodes and doing some things that Picard is uncomfortable with or that like he really doesn't want to do. But she is the person that is there like, I have my orders from Starfleet Command, Captain Picard, I'm giving you your orders. I understand your concerns. Just do it. You know, this, these are our orders. We need to do this. So I've come to appreciate it more, like in, appreciate her more in, in subsequent rewatches. And she's definitely not a bad moral because for me, a bad moral is, you know, they're, they're corrupt or they're taken over by an alien entity. They're in it for their own power. Necheyev is, I think we'll see pretty much always there just to make sure the chain of command is followed and the orders are, are carried out. So I, she, but she has to do it in for difficult decisions and in such a way that sometimes people don't like it. And I think she's accepted that. Not everybody's going to like the orders that I give. So, 
Right. Yeah. No, I told you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's uh, talk about, oh, before we talk about the, um, the specific episodes, you know, I was thinking about this, like, was she the first, you know, female admiral that we saw in the next generation? It turns out she wasn't. There was a small role for an Admiral Hayes in Realm of Fear a few episodes before this in early season six. But I think that that was like a really small role. And because Necheyev comes, she's on TNG four times and on DS9 twice. Everybody knows who she is. She's really prominent. Um, you know, quite possibly the most prominent female admiral that we get in the prime timeline until Cornwell and Discovery maybe. But I mean, I, she's a character I think everybody knows and that's, she's the most prominent female admiral certainly in, in the next generation. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's beyond it. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Right. So actually, so the first episode that she's in is Chain of Command Part 1, which is Season 6, Episode 10, which aired in December of 1992. And basically, in introducing this character, you know, and, and well, I, I guess to talk about Chain of Command, so, you know, that's the one where there's supposedly this threat with the, the Cardassians and Picard and Crusher and Worf have to kind of have this covert operation and investigated Picard gets captured and tortured, which happens kind of in the second part. But in, in the first part, Necheyev is, is basically, you know, coming in and, and telling Picard that, um, that he's relieved of his command. Right. So, so basically the episode starts with Necheyev being introduced, like I think right from the beginning and she just kind of comes in, she gets down to business um, and and says that he's relieved of command, and then it's like roll credits because it's like what is going on here? So like immediately she is that person that is doing something that we probably wouldn't like because we've come to really like Picard as captain. I mean, like when so when she first comes in that first scene, like what what are your your thoughts on that? Because it's very dramatic. For sure, she's got one hell of a presence, command presence. I mean, the first thing that she says before, before um, you know, w- when Riker comes in and introduces her, before she even says anything to Picard, she's like, "That'll be all, Commander." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, whoa!" <laughs> and you never see that. You never see someone like put uh, in a sense. I mean, he didn't need to be put in his place, but he was like, "Okay, I know where I stand in this situ- or uh, in this conversation." <laughs> and it's just like you know, and. Uh, in the military, that's just that's something like you know, it's very, it's a very strong statement to say something like that, and that's basically like get the hell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, I I absolutely love the first few uh, few minutes of uh, of being introduced to this brand new character in Chain of Command. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I agree. It's a it's a very interesting thing, and I noticed that in all of the episodes that we're going to talk about, she's always there in person. She's not communicating with them always from her ship or from Starfleet Command or wherever. She comes in person. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't seem to me to be a very tall person. And she doesn't need to be because she just exudes command. And right. you, you basically know not to mess with her at all and she makes that very clear in those first few minutes that we meet her and it's interesting because this episode aired in the early 90s and i remember the early 90s very well and i i look back on my life and at the way that women in authoritative positions are received 
because, you know, you see a man in that kind of role and you're like, oh, well, he's he's very authoritative and mm -hmm. command a commanding presence. You see a woman in that role and, oh, she's a shrew or she's a bee or, you know, one of those things. And it's like, yeah. no, it's the exact same behavior either way. So why is it different for a woman? And I think that some of that still happens today. So it's interesting that they let her go with that instead of making her all soft and sweet because she's a lady. So I appreciated mm -hmm. the fact that she was no nonsense. She got right down to business. Uh, let's let's do this because she had to get rid of Riker and she didn't want to waste any time. She's like, time is of the essence. So I was like, get out. We got to get down to business. Sit down. I'm going to tell you what's going on. So, yeah, I just uh, I just really liked her. No nonsense. Necheyev is what I like to call her in my head. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that. Yeah, because I mean, she's basically down to business. And I think we've had plenty of male admirals that are that are like that nobody really yeah. says anything it's like oh it's you know kind of a quasi-military organization that's what you do but but people sometimes have these comments about Nechea because she's making you know Picard uncomfortable or have to do things he doesn't want to do but surely other people have asked him to do that before mm -hmm. you know and um, mm -hmm. what, what's really interesting also is so they there's this opening scene and, and she says I'm here to relieve you of command and then there's a scene in the observation lounge where Picard isn't there. There's Necheyev and, you know, Riker and the senior staff. And, and like for a moment, I think the first time I saw it, I was like, is she going to take command of the ship now? Like for this mission? Like what is, what is going on here? I mean, until they introduce Jellicoe later, but, but, um, but also like, you know, they talk about Jellicoe and then, and then Riker, um, you know, feels like it's not necessary to give Jellicoe command, kind of implying like, hey, I'm next in line. And mm -hmm. <laughs> and she just really clearly says, you know, we need someone who has a lot of experience with the Cardassians. No offense, Commander, but that's not you. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Um, but I mean, that's exactly what she needs to do. And it turns out, I think, that Jellicoe is the right person for that part of the mission and Picard is the right person for a different part of the mission. So like, I think it's a really strong introduction of, of who she is. That, that she just gets down to business and wants to accomplish things and she doesn't care like who it is if they're not right for the mission they're just not going to do it so yeah yeah and she tells it how it is and uh that's mm -hmm. what that's why i absolutely love uh those very first um moments that we get to see here is that we see you know she means business she wants to, obviously it's a it's a very heightened situation anyway i mean they're about to go to war if if it does happen and mm -hmm. you need to be ready and in a sense, you need to have one of your best commanders um, that basically have a, a, a just as loud of a bark as she does, um, and that that shows it uh, um, with Jellico because he's very uh, very on point on getting everything done and and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, for sure, um, he continued um, on the the pace that um, the Chef already set. So yeah, yeah. It and, and in this episode, I mean, she just has a small part after that observation lounge scene um, mm -hmm. where she's talking to Jellicoe on, on the monitor about about what's going on. But but yeah, it's like a really strong kind of memorable introduction and important two-parter. And I think it's interesting, like a lot of these are part of like two-part episodes. A lot of them have to do with Cardassians. I mean, there's like all this kind of important stuff that they're 
and some of them they're setting up things for Deep Space Nine or Voyager and she's I mean they brought her in in a lot of important episodes they're not going to bring her in in like Sub Rosa or something like that right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was actually one of our options of what to do for this podcast and I thought how on earth could we rewrite that so that it is palatable to anyone we might do it someday (laughs) (laughs) completely scrap it and write a new story is basically all I could think of but they always had her doing like important thing. I mean, I think as we'll see, important roles, important episodes. It's not just like a throwaway thing. So I, I appreciate that a lot, the way that they were kind of, you know, building her character. So Yeah, that's yeah. that's very obvious when you see the rest of the episodes and basically watch them all together because that's what I did to mm-hmm. just refresh my memory. And uh, I just thought, wow, well, she's always there in person. She is... She knows how to get things done. So, yeah, it just made me actually really love the character even more, rewatching mm-hmm. those episodes. Yeah, or and not only, uh, like, when to, uh, to get things done, but she also knows to convey that, that importance of oh, what yeah. it is. And you feel it. Oh, yeah, you, you mm-hmm. totally feel it. <laughs> you really feel it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I feel like, well, with the whole Jellico thing, I feel like that, he actually knew he was only ha- going to have temporary command, but he wasn't about to act like it was a temporary command because mm-hmm. he needed everybody to fall in line. And yeah, nobody likes Jellicoe at first, but I love Ronnie Cox. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah, Ronnie. You know, I, I, I've, I've come to appreciate Jellicoe. He's also somebody mm-hmm. that needs to, to do what needs to be done. But I don't know like whether he thinks that he's going to be temporarily in command because at one point he's talking to Picard and he's like, I don't think you have a good chance of coming back, but good luck. <laughs> you know, like almost like he he thinks maybe he will be in in um, command of the Enterprise more permanently if he doesn't make it back. So, but anyway, they're they're kind of interesting because there are there's like this this strong admiral kind of pushing things along, and there's a strong captain Jellico that's kind of pushing things things along within within the same episode, and it's it's really interesting to to kind of see that but it but it is interesting also that you know jellico is somebody that a lot of people have have trouble with too so yeah i I don't anymore i don't anymore i i can appreciate the character and what he's trying to do and uh it it is absolutely true that he was the right person for the job and Mm nacheyev knew exactly what she was doing so he was the right person to negotiate that treaty (laughs) just ooh, wow because really honestly how would a Picard have gotten to that same end result? I just don't know if he could have in the same way, because the Cardassians are a different kettle of fish, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, they're kind of fishy, you know, a little bit like invertebrates. But uh, yeah, I just, I just don't know how that would have worked out with Picard doing that, because you can't always solve every single problem with nice diplomacy. Sometimes you have to have someone like Jellico there to make them wait for a stupid amount of time to make them think you're a loose cannon and are just going to pop off at any time. Sometimes you need that. It's just yeah. a fact of life. But yeah, so he well, was he the right pushes person. them to get all their defenses and, and you know, yeah. all the systems in the ship to get ready and it's driving them crazy. But they kind of need But they it. do it. They do it. They're capable of it. He knows they're capable of it, and so it gets done. That's all there is to it. You know, and that actually bothers me now. Now that we're talking about that, it's so 
obviously they, they they run a starship they know the dangers of being in space and whatnot and yet they can't like up the pace a little bit i mean it, i mean that just that just further enforces the i know i know ken's gonna love this and same thing with zach <laughs> but it further enforces that the fact that the enterprise d is a cruise liner <laughs> so i mean well no i'm not taking away from any of the workers that work at cruise liners because i know they work hard <laughs> yes they do very hard <laughs> but i'm just saying the employees as in the officers of the enterprise are on a cruise <laughs> Yeah, well, so. their their mission isn't war. Their mission is exploration. So they well, do come into conflict. Well, a cruise ship either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they work hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But they. <laughs> I, yeah. But at the same time, I I feel like, yeah, I understood both sides of that uh, conflict because uh, suddenly they're being asked to do stuff that, yeah, they could have done in a normal relaxed amount of time but he needed it done immediately and so he demanded that it be done immediately and it got done so that doesn't mean they always are going to run a ship that way but uh in a crisis situation now they know that they have what it takes to get these things done faster than they ever thought possible so mm -hmm. i think he made things left things a little better than when he found them like he tells picard <laughs> when Picard comes back. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I know we kind of took a sidetrack a little bit to talk about Jellico, but I mean... <laughs> he's a big part of the episode, but, too. But he, he's a big part of the episode, and actually the orders that put him in command are signed by Necheyev, so it's really mm -hmm. she's kind of putting that into effect that, that Jellico is the one that's in command of, of the Enterprise. So, I mean, like, even though she just has a couple of scenes, in a lot of these episodes, just a couple of scenes, she's doing things that kind of kick things off in a certain direction and affect like the rest of the episode or the rest of the two-parter, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah, interesting to see. All right. Should we move on to the second appearance? Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she was, uh, Admiral Necheyev was next in uh, Descent, part one, uh, which was the 26th episode of season six, aired in June of 1993. So uh, that's the one about uh, the Borg. They've been influenced by Hugh. They're kind of individuals and, and uh, Lore is kind of in command of this group of, of Borg that wants to kind of rid the galaxy of organic beings. Maybe that, I don't know if that's a good summary, but then, then <laughs> can, Lore convinces uh, uh, Data to join them. But her role in, in this episode is that there are these kind of Borg attacks that are going on. Um, and... You're right. She comes in person. <laughs> she likes to come in person, doesn't she? She does every time, every <laughs> single time. Mm -hmm. to, to see Picard. I mean, it's kind of a, a short scene because um, there's a captain's log where uh, Picard says, you know, that Starfleet uh, sent Necheyev to take command in, in the sector. So they have, you know, a conversation about, you know, all this, the starships that are going to be in the sector and that she'll have a certain flagship and... Um, but I think the important part, even in that short scene, is that she questions him about Hugh. Um, and Hugh was the Borg that they came across who kind of became an individual, and Picard decided not to basically commit genocide with the Borg and wipe them out, but to kind of send individuality to them and hope that things would, would get better for the Borg or it would affect them in some way that didn't eradicate everybody. But, but Necheyev really takes a hard line with him about it and says that it could have 
you know, rid the Federation of a mortal enemy. And, and, and if there's an opportunity for him to do that in the future, he has to take it, you know? Um, and I think it weighs on him. She's just in that short scene, but it weighs on him, you know, later in, in the episode when he's like, did I make the, the wrong decision? Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about, you know, this appearance and bring that back up about the decision he made about Hugh? I love continuity and I love it done well. <laughs> and this episode does it well because, you know, they could have just, you know, written the rest of that off and just said, oh, okay, Hugh goes back to the Borg and is absorbed into the collective and uh, they brainwash him and now he's just a Borg again. They could have done that so many ways, but no, they... They brought the fruits of Picard's labors to bear, and it isn't necessarily a good thing. And that's th that's the thing about life in general, and about making decisions about other people's lives. And it's like, are you, you can do what's moral, but is it the right thing to do? And Picard is really struggling with that. And I understand Nechev's position because. Yes, she reviewed all of the logs and everything about the situation, and all that she was able to see was that they could have put an end to their biggest enemy. And granted, the Borg are scary as heck because they adapt, and they're virtually unstoppable for a while. <laughs> well, they don't seem to send multiple ships, though. Yeah. They, they don't seem to do that, uh, probably because they're all over the universe uh, doing other things. Yeah. But they're all they're still all. But they're still a they, scary they, adversary. They're, they're a very scary adversary until, well, until Voyager. But that's another story. Um, so, but, uh, but I can understand that hardline view because she wasn't there. Had she been there, had she watched that changes happen in Hugh, she might have had a different opinion. But she wasn't there. She's never going to have that experience. And so she is thinking about the future of Starfleet, the Federation, humanity, other races, etc. That's what her job is, is to protect everybody. And that's what she's doing with mm -hmm. these statements. So it's not like she's being unfeeling or anything like that, but she's got bigger fish to fry. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, I'm glad that, um, uh, someone like, uh, you see someone like that in the command, um, command structure that's thinking like that. I mean, obviously, yeah, rid the, you know, Borg, uh, of, I mean, of the Federation or rid the Federation of the Borg, <laughs> but like at the same time, you know, it's like, uh, you know, She's got to deal with all those deaths that happen uh, that will happen under her command. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's that's also another uh, uh, thought in the, in in the character's mind as well. And yeah, it, I I probably would have said the same thing because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have a you have a chance to just to rid uh, rid this and you know keep us. I mean, yeah, the Vulcans or I'm sorry, the Romulans and the Klingons are one thing and nuisance and at, at the same time, but at least they're not banding together. And uh, not a formidable foe like um, the Borgar. So, but as we yeah. found out in DS Nine later on, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I have a I have a different point of view about it, and I think mm. I found when I've expressed it, it's not that popular point of view. I, I think that that what um, Picard did by not you know sending doing something in a way to send Hugh back to destroy all of the Borg. Uh, I think it was actually the right thing to do because like if in order for your civilization to survive, 
you need to completely destroy another one and basically commit genocide, then, you know, what is the point of what you're doing in your civilization? That's just my point of view. I, I know it's probably not a popular one in, in this context that we're talking about in, in Star Trek, but like for, for me, I, I really appreciate that episode. I think it was Iborg and the, the, um, things that it, that it looked at. And I probably would have made the same decision that, that Picard did holding out hope because I mean, you, you, you talk about the, the, the Borg and they're this collective, but, but they're made up of individuals who at one point or another were part of a lot of different civilizations and they've been forced to be a part of this. So if there's any chance to be able to, at some point, um, you know, break that and, and, and liberate them, me personally, I'd rather take that chance than, um, than trying to have my own civilization continue by completely destroying another one. So no, I totally agree with you yeah. on that because my mm -hmm. personal feeling will always be that Picard did the right thing. However, that is not necessarily what the right thing is perceived to be by everyone in Starfleet. Sure. So mm -hmm. there's different perceptions of right and wrong there. But I would have done the same thing in his place. I could not mm -hmm. eradicate an entire species uh, in that way. It's just, it's again, we, we would lose our own humanity by doing that, so mm -hmm. to speak. I know that Starfleet is made up of more humanoid, than humans. humanoid entity, maybe. <laughs> there we go. I, we would lose our own humanoid entity. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that point. And if it's okay. an unpopular view, uh, then people can just write angry comments. I don't know. It's just it, it's I, just something that I put forward before in certain groups and people are like, nope, I would have eradicated those Borg. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't think it, I don't think that's an unpopular. I, I don't think that's an, uh, a negative. What did you say? Uncommon, unpopular, yeah. unpopular view, because um, hmm. I mean. Realistic, I mean, like, see, here's the thing. So here's how I'm seeing it. So Picard made a moral decision, and we need more people in something that we're in, like a frontline military units and stuff like that to mm -hmm. question the higher-ups and say, hey, do you th really think that this is um, what we're supposed to be doing? And that's exactly, that's kind of, I mean, obviously he probably already had standing quarters. If you have an opportunity to kill uh, or uh, do a crippling blow to the Borg or anyone that were at currently wore it. I'm sure that's exactly what um, that that it was already out there. But at the same time, he did the, what was morally and ethical as a person and to blindly just, you know, go out there and completely eradicate an entire race or the possibility is just not human <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. it's not humanoidal yeah i mean exactly and, yeah. and then well and, the, and then just to, uh, just to piggyback off of what you were saying about the borg about that they were forced into it's like yeah it's slavery basically in a mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. and they those people deserve to be you know freed from i mean it's not like they're cyborgs or anything like that <laughs> but like yeah it's just like yeah i mean they're people too so yeah that are just trapped because they can't get out yeah, and I, and I had actually taken that same line of thought, Justin. It's like, okay, these people are from species across the galaxy, mm -hmm. and none of them asked for this. None of them wanted this, and we're just going to eradicate them. Technically, mm. they're not a they're not a species. Yeah, they're, well, just, they're a culture. They just, I would say they're, they're a culture. They're, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but, forced but to be part of that culture. 
Yeah, but yeah. Every, there are many other species within that have been assimilated right. to become right, part I mean, of the yeah. Borg. So, but yeah, right. it's. Uh, I would I would still have made, but I'm a big old softy, and I will <laughs> choose to not harm people if I have that option. So yeah, I I think yes, Picard did the moral thing, and in my mind, it was the right thing. But I also understand Nechev and Starfleet's point of view as well. So. And she's also got a job to do, which is to protect the Federation. And, well, yep. that's his job, too. But, I mean, it's more dire on her than it is on him. So. Yes, very yeah. much so. She's under a lot more pressure. And, oh, yeah. it, and it's interesting. I think we see in some of these episodes, like, Necheyev has her orders. She's going to, you know, tell Picard what needs to be done from Starfleet Command. Um, but then, you know, Picard is the one to actually, you know, be not on the ground, really, but, like, to be... I don't know, maybe that's the right way to put it. The but front line? At the, the front, front line, line, yeah. Actually yeah. having to carry those things out, he has to wrestle with it in a way that Starfleet Command might not or an Admiral might not. And I think what's interesting in Descent is that, you know, later on when um, when Picard is thinking about this and talking with Riker, you know, Riker says sending Hugh back to the Borg was a risky, a very dangerous choice, but it was the moral thing to do. And Picard says it may turn out the moral thing to do was not the right thing to do. So he's really like wrestling this w- with this and, and questioning himself in a way that maybe he hasn't <laughs> since that happened the, the year before. Um, and it's kind of, uh, I don't know if they get back to like, if he resolves that for himself, whether it was the right thing to, to do or not. Um, but also saying something yeah. like, you know, may turn out the moral thing to do is not the right thing to do sounds very much to me like a Deep Space Nine kind of thing. And I think because DS9 was going on at this point, there are these kind of more complex moral gray area kind of things going on in the later seasons. I agree, because yeah. sometimes there is no one right answer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to make a choice between what everyone thinks is right and what you know is right and w- what you know is moral. And those are not easy decisions to make. And, you know, it's it's good to have a character like Picard that has that high sense of morality to wrestle with these things and come to his decision. Because, you know, anyone who blindly follows orders without question, yeah, they might make a good soldier, but they're never going to make a good leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And it's very, it's very blurry from the top. It really is. Yes, <laughs> so really blurry, is. so so blurry. I mean, and it reminded me of that uh, that episode with Captain Maxwell saying, you know, all those brass don't know what what's going on down here in the in in a sense the wilderness. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's it's true. The wounded. Really I, I was just watching that before we started Thank recording. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't remember the name of the episode. I was like, I know it's Captain Maxwell on the Phoenix, but I was like, what is that episode name? <laughs> yeah, it 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 is it is really interesting to to think about those things. Yeah, right. totally. So uh, let's go on to um, the third appearance of Admiral Necheyev. That's Journey's End, uh, Season Seven, Episode Twenty. Uh, aired in March 1994, and uh, Journey's End is basically the epi- Wesley episode. <laughs> I know you don't <laughs> like Wesley, but it's more it's more than that. Be- and we're actually going to focus on a different part of it, right? <laughs> but but I mean, I think the real crux of the episode, besides what's going on with with Wesley, is that there's this treaty that's been signed with the Cardassians. Again, you know, a uh, an episode with Cardassians. Um, and 
there's been a treaty and there's some worlds, some Cardassian worlds that are currently in Federation space, some Federation worlds in Cardassian space. And there's a Federation world in, in Cardassian space and Necheyev is ordering Picard to, to move those people. And, and they're, they're, um, uh, they're native American people that had originally come from earth a couple hundred years before, and they have to move. And, um, and Picard, you know, is having this discussion and, and these, He's, he's having a real hard time with it because, you know, of course, there is this history of Native American peoples being, you know, removed some hundreds of years before. And it's like they're doing it again. There's a distant government and they're not going to be able to kind of do do what they want. And he kind of really wrestles uh, w- with this. Um, I think what's what's um, what's really interesting in this one when she gets introduced is that um Previously, there had been, you know, this this tension in some of the other episodes when, uh, and and he specifically like makes tea in her favorite canapes and, and Valerian canapes. Valerian canapes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sounds yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take one. I mean, it, it, so like, so she comes into the room. Riker, she tells Riker to leave, of course. but he's used to it by then he's just like yeah he's like up all right he was already on his way out the door see you later (laughs) and and so she she starts saying like oh you know we've we've worked out these things with the 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 cardassians and i think it 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 just stops her in her tracks like are those balerian canapes (laughs) yeah yeah i found out the kind (laughs) that you like and she's like oh that was really thoughtful and i think that's interesting because it's the first time where where she's kind of getting out of that official role and being like, oh, you did a thoughtful thing for me. Let me just like take a moment and, and stop and, you know, enjoy your hospitality. So I kind of like that about about her character that she can, like I think over the course of some of these appearances, even though there's only four of them, <clears throat> they get to know each other better and it becomes like a little a little more informal. And, and I think in this one, he still struggles with what she's telling him to do, but... But there's not quite as much as much tension in mm-hmm. in, in yeah. the first part of it. Yeah, there's not. Uh, the thing that I love is that she just marches right in and he gets out, I think, as far as would you like? And then she just starts in. And then I love how just in mid-sentence and she, her back is to him and she just stops and turns around <laughs> and realizes that there are Valerian canapes. And, and then she sits down and they have a conversation because somebody took notice of her as a person mm. and not just an admiral. And he did say that he had asked her aid for, you know, what was her favorite food, etc. something that he could connect with her on to make her mm-hmm. feel welcome on the Enterprise. And uh, it worked. It worked really well, I think. And yes, she had come to give him very difficult orders, orders that she makes it pretty apparent, I think, in later conversations that she doesn't agree with either, but she has her orders. Yeah, I think even in the initial um, conversation that, that, that they're having, so, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about this, this situation, um, and, and she's saying, well, you know, one of the representatives was included as part of the discussions. You know, we considered their objections and, and they were ultimately, you know, rejected. Um, and so so she's trying to kind of and I think you even see when she's when she's talking about it um, in, in the episode that um, 
that she is sympathetic to the difficulties he's wrestling with and even says that she made some of the arguments he's making about this to the Federation Council, but they've rejected it and now it's time to carry out these orders. So she's not just somebody that's like, here's your orders, go do it. I don't even care what you think, you know. She does care and I think she listens to what he has to say and she's like, I feel the same way and I told them this was a problem because of this, this and this, but we have our orders now, let's carry them out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even well, it, start, it was it was gonna start like that uh, yeah. before she noticed the uh, canopies. That's that's true. I mean, I guess he got her with that gesture to to kind of open up a little bit more and actually give some hints that you know she doesn't quite agree with it either. But it's what they have to do. So I don't know. Yeah, and and she even says later because he's talking to her again on the view screen and he says, Admiral, can't you talk to Starfleet Command? And she said, I did, like two hours ago you know it's not that she hasn't kept trying because she has Mm -hmm. and she makes that clear to him Mm -hmm. it's just uh it's again it's one of those situations that has no good right answer that's Mm -hmm. going to come about and so they have to find a different resolution i really i really didn't have anything uh more to add to what you guys were saying because you guys were hitting all the points that i was already thinking um, just one of the things that I really like about this episode is that you actually finally get to see her tone it down from being that strict uh, military leader to a very nice person. But I, I did. I was going to ask um, uh, Brandy, do you think that her being, uh, uh, you know, being the assertive person that she is, and then going in there basically guns blazing with Picard, that? It's a re- representation of females back then that, oh, that were that were assertive, like what we were talking about, talking about earlier. Like in that, the real world in the 1990s? Right. Or, okay. yeah. yeah, because women had to work two to three times as hard to get to the same level of authority that men did. And right. unfortunately, often still do. And even when they get to that level of authority, you know, they will be, uh, if they show any kind of emotion or weakness, they will be attacked. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that plays a lot into that representation of her character earlier on, because that's the way the world was. Now, granted, this is supposed to be the idyllic future where everybody's equal and all of that. But, you know, in the original series, women couldn't be starship captains. So things of the time are still reflected in this idyllic future. And I think that was mm-hmm. one of them, that women can't show any weakness or else, you know, someone will think, oh, well, you know, she's just being an emotional woman. She's being hysterical. She's being this or that, when that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, and what's interesting about the that opening scene in, in Journey's End is that Picard makes a gesture and and she's like, oh, I'm going to take that gesture and see if maybe that'll help us to, to, to work together. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he hadn't made that gesture, if she, she would have, but, but it affects some of the things that, that she says and how she says them. And even at the end of that scene, she says, thank you for making me welcome. Because it's probably such a rare thing that anybody would do something thoughtful like that. They're like, oh, the Admiral's here. Um, mm-hmm. They're, <laughs> they're going to give me some orders I don't like, and I'm just going to bear with it and, and until they leave. But, <clears throat> but clearly Picard's thought about it, and he makes this gesture, and she accepts. I just like that a lot because it it adds to her character. Because when you see like a character in Star Trek and they're all just about like, 
I'm a tough person. I'm given orders, go. And you don't see them as a real person because not everybody's like that 24 hours a day, right? They have their moments True. when, yeah. when, you know, they can appreciate certain things. And I like that we're seeing that side, even though these are short scenes, these are fairly short appearances. So, well, and it also, it also should, well, I mean, not to take away from, um, being the time that it is, especially for a female being uh, in a high position like Nechev was, um, or is, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> Nechev like, um, eternal. Maybe, maybe yeah, there you go. <laughs> will, will be in 350 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you yeah. go. Will be. There you go. I like that. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's not. It's it's also it's also a military culture too. I mean, I mean, and then I'm, it's actually not even just military culture. It's also work. It's probably a little bit more stressful when it comes to the military. But like, when you have a higher ranking officer, or even your uh, your a higher ranking enlisted, of course you're gonna you're gonna act differently, and it's gonna be a little bit higher tense. And I guess. You know, like you said, make it. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm talking in circles now with you, but like I'm just saying, like uh, that. You know, yeah, she, uh, she is an actual person, and you know, and you know, before she was an admiral, she was probably a captain, and and all that kind of stuff, just like anyone else. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah if that'd... only they did the corporations of today the same way. You had to actually rise through the ranks instead of, oh, let's hire this guy for our CEO. No. No, 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 no. He didn't work in that company. No. He has to start packing the boxes first before he can move up to be the CEO. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. They should all know what it's like at the lowest rung of that Mm -hmm. company. They should Mm -hmm. work there in that lower area where they consider their them to be you know i don't know what parasites peons whatever it's just uh, it's just like <laughs> no these are the people that make your money for you buddy so sorry <laughs> got off track i know what that feels like yeah <laughs> <laughs> right on. yeah but i mean i think that is one good thing about about star trek because you you do see that like even if someone is is an admiral they're like the highest ranking uh, person they were a cadet once, you know, a long oh. time ago, and they were mm-hmm. an ensign, a lieutenant, a commander, a captain, all that stuff, and they've they've moved through over the years. So they can have an appreciation, I think, when they're giving the like I think when Necheyev is giving these orders to Picard, that she probably has an appreciation like when I was a captain, there was some admiral giving me orders I didn't like either. So and I think that's why I think she's kind of sympathetic to certain things, like I understand, I made that argument, it was rejected. So I understand where you're coming from, but you've got to do this for me. And I'd like to see that, like a Captain Necheyev series. That'd be quite interesting. Ooh, nice prequel. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. But but yeah, like we don't think about that sometimes. Like, oh, there's this admiral and they're giving these orders and it's a real pain for Picard. But they've done all this stuff before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's different in the military than it is in in a civilian uh, chain of command. Yeah, they, they have to have made it through. Unless... No, even still, you, you know, you start at the bottom for an officer. I mean, yeah. technically you're not private, but I mean, in a sense, in the officer ranks, you kind of are. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, then how do we explain Kirk going from cadet to captain in one movie in the 2009 Star Trek? You know, things work differently in that other timeline. <laughs> um, I don't think that we would don't live in that timeline. In prime timeline. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is one of those things where you're like, yeah, I don't think it's realistic Jack, that would happen. But Jack, yeah. uh, Brandy's uh, uh, taking a stab at uh, TOS. Uh oh. <laughs> 
no, no, he's taking I, a stab at the Kelvin timeline. I'm but. taking a stab at the Kelvin timeline. But, but still, um, the standard uh, Arabic guys talk about yeah. the Kelvin. I, I like the Kelvin timeline that. a lot, and I love the first and third movies especially. But yeah. yeah, there is something unrealistic where it's like, you were just a cadet and here's a ship. <laughs> but Yeah, it's just like, you know. and you spent like a part of the movie not even on the ship. You got thrown off onto an ice planet where Spock <laughs> conveniently was and Scotty conveniently was. And anyway, You know, sorry. I mean, Nero messed up all that stuff. What can I say? Yeah, you know what? It's it's okay. It's okay because if were it not for the Kelvin timeline, I don't think that we would have had something as great as Discovery because it reinvigorated interest in Star Trek and I can't fault them for that at all. I did enjoy the third movie a lot. I really enjoyed the third movie. I, yeah. I love all three of them. I love them all. Well, I mean, it's I, it's it's the reason that I'm here. If it wasn't for the 2009 movie, I wouldn't have had my interest in Star Trek rekindled to try to. There you all go. On my phone. There we're you go. Okay. See, so yeah. there there is whether you like the movies or not, you cannot argue that they did not have a massive impact on the reinvigoration of Star Trek. Oh so. yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, yeah nobody, exactly. Nobody can argue uh, that they didn't have an impact. So. You know, every time I every time I ran into someone, if I had my uh, Star Trek shirt, I usually got uh, run into like older people, you know, a, quite a few years older than me, and you know, the, and then when two thousand nine happened, it, it's like it's like, hey, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I got kids basically, you know, not like kids, kids, <laughs> like twenty year olds, and I and I can't believe I'm at that age where I'm about to start saying that now. But <laughs> but like there, you know, Richard, you got these there. kids. I oh, know, right? Yeah, I'm the old man. <laughs> if if they're young enough to that, I could have been their mother. Then they're a kid to me. So okay, that, so maybe not a twenty year old. But no, um, twenty. No, I'm forty four. Yeah. So oh, okay, twenty year old. Okay. Yeah, I could definitely be the mother of a twenty year old. I have many friends who are mothers of twenty year olds. So. <laughs> So yeah, and, and I and I absolutely love it, you know, because when 2009 came out, I absolutely hated it and, the first time, and then I watched it a couple times, and then it my view didn't change. But when I ran to someone that was like, "Oh, you're a fan of Star Trek? Oh, I love the start," and it just it sparked off this whole conversation, and he had no idea that there was this whole entire television show that happened. Way back mm. into the past, way before him and I were born, Oof. and um, him and I talk here and there. It, it's just, it's amazing on uh, on how much he's gotten out of it. So, I, 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 yeah, I can't fault 2009, unfortunately, J.J. Abrams, um, uh, for um, rejuvenizing our uh, the Yeah, I like rejuvenizing. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Let's use that from now on. It's not rejuvenating. It's rejuvenizing. <laughs> sounds so much better, actually. Do it. Yeah. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, but definitely. I mean, it's good when people come in all kinds of different ways and they can look back at, at, at what's come before. Yeah. Um, should we go on to the next one? Yeah. Yes, sir. I actually have a question for you guys about which one you want to um, to do next because Nechev was on four episodes of TNG and two episodes of DS9. And actually, mm-hmm. the next episode of TNG came after the first episode of DS9 that she was on. So I'll leave it up to you, which you want to talk about first. So chronological or? Chronological and air date, the DS9 one is first. Well, then let's talk about the DS9 one. Let's go with the air date and the chronology. All right. So, yes, we're a TNG podcast, but we'll talk about DS9 a bit here. Because, I mean, I think it rounds out what you see in the arc of of her character as well. Yes. Um, All right. So... 
Dang it, we're crossing the streams. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said crossing the streams was bad. <laughs> it is I'm bad. I'm okay with it for Star Trek. But <laughs> <laughs> the world. <laughs> so, okay, so the last one that we had talked about was uh, Journey's End, which aired in March of 1994. Um, but then before Necheyev's last TNG appearance, she was on Deep Space Nine in the Maquis Part 2, which was uh, season two, episode 21, aired May 1st, 1994. So again, another uh, two-parter like Descent and, and Chain of Command where Necheyev appears. Um, and I guess just briefly to talk about the Maquis two-parter, the Maquis are making some trouble and uh, Cisco needs to do something about it. Does that kind of sum it up? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty well sums it up. And in part two, Cisco has one of the greatest rants of all time. Yes. I'm de- I was definitely going to talk about that because it's inspired by oh. Necheyev, right? Yeah, but, it is. It's just, mm, yeah, Yeah. But, but like the, the interesting <laughs> thing is the Maquis kind of has its origins in Journey's End, which we just talked about and all the stuff that goes on at Dorvan 5. Um, and then, um, you know, later, later on, like less than two months later, there is a DS9... Um, two-parter about the Maquis. And basically, you know, in, in, the, in the first part, uh, Cisco's had to try to figure out what's, what's going, I think there, what, there's a freighter that explodes Deep Space Nine and they have to investigate. And he finds out that, you know, his old buddy, Cal Hudson, uh, has kind of left Starfleet for the Maquis. I think that's what he finds out at the end of the first part. And then, um, you know, Cisco comes back and he's going to have to deal with all of these implications and and he's talking to, uh, to to Dax and saying, oh, I want to talk to Starfleet. Well, Admiral Necheyev's already here, Dax says. So <laughs> there she is just showing up again, unannounced mm-hmm. this time. Um, and she's going to, you know, talk with, with Cisco. Um, and it's, it's a, it, it is a really interesting conversation because, you know, so far we've seen, you know, those three interactions with Picard where it's been kind of tense and, but it's kind of gotten a little better with Journey's End a little bit. Um, and then she's going to talk with Cisco and we've never seen her talk with, with Cisco before. And Cisco, I think, is a very different kind of captain, <laughs> the way that he, oh, yeah. he deals with things. Mm-hmm. Well, um, is he a commander? Is he a captain? He's a commander at this point. Commander. You're right. right. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Second That's season, okay. So he's, still he's still in command of the yeah, station. Yeah, he's still in so. command of the station. Yeah. But, right, but I mean the the difference between the two. The, I mean there is a huge difference. I mean you sure. may be like commander, but like the power of a captain or even an admiral is is still quite a bit. So yeah, I mean yeah, they kind of had to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it's just so weird to me because it's just like really we're gonna start this series with the commander not being a captain. I know. We can talk Is about it? that more another time because <laughs> I could have a long yeah. conversation no, about I just, that. I just always thought that was weird, but then I'm a I'm a socially conscious, annoying person, so there we go. We'll pass the orb it to is, the orb. It is, it is yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, Chris, when are you going to have me on the orb, buddy? Because I got plenty to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, ring, ring, ring. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, Necheyev uh, comes to Cisco's office on on Deep Space Nine, and uh, one of the things that happened before was Gold Dukat was kidnapped by the the Maquis, and she's just you know letting Cisco know that the Central Command's on alert, and then she puts in this thing like you know the security chief of yours 
the shapeshifter. Oh, you mean Odo? And it's like, wouldn't you be better off with a Starfleet officer heading your security team? So immediately she's starting by like questioning what he's doing. And just in that first part of the conversation, what do you guys think about that? Just kind of like they have this situation going on and she's going to question, you know, the, the basically the head of security that he has in place. I kind of feel like it was not inferring you should replace him because if she thought that he should be replaced, she would have just said so. Mm. She was finding out how Cisco felt about Odo, what his qualifications were. She was fishing, basically. She was on a fishing expedition because mm-hmm. she didn't say it as a command. She just said, wouldn't it be better if, as if yeah. to make him think about that choice. So I felt she was just on a fishing expedition to see what uh, Cisco actually thought about Odo and his capabilities and his loyalties. Yeah, I mean, I, go ahead, Richard. Well, I was just going to say, uh, it, it, it was more, to me, it sounded like more like a suggestive, suggestive order. And, um, you know, uh, get, put it basically, like you said, uh, you know, putting this seed in his mind saying, well, don't you think you should do it this way? Um, you know, probably towards some, um, you know, regulations or something like that. Because I think I think he, he doesn't he quote the regulations that there has to be a, uh, a Federation security officer in order to handle Federation not in, matters. Not in this one. I think they talk about that in later. DS. OK, so, well, yeah. But, yeah. but I, well, the way that I took it was. Like, okay, so we've we've seen um, Necheyev, uh, you know, talking with Picard and in different sectors. And, you know, now something's happened on Deep Space Nine that takes the Federation's attention. And, um, and you know, Bajor and Deep Space Nine aren't part of the Federation. So I think what she's saying is there's this important Federation um, matter, and we don't have a Starfleet head of security here. I want your assurance that I can trust this person will handle the situation. And I mean, she basically gets that, that, that assurance because I think she's looking like at each step of it, just to, to kind of see like, do we have the right team in place? Is everything secure here? So I kind of took it. I I think Cisco takes this very confrontational, but I took it as she's just trying to make sure all of the, you know, right people are in the right place and, and that there, there isn't any kind of problem. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to find out later on that the security officer was helping the Maquis or something. So she's, yeah, she's just basically finding out about Odo, and she does, and that's the last you hear of it, because she's satisfied with what she found out. Yeah, although, of course, later you get Eddington, but... <laughs> I don't want to talk about Eddington. I don't talk about it. Hero <laughs> of DS. No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, but don't I mean, make it, me come and punch you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but it has implications later. But like, what, what's interesting is so they they keep after she talks about that they, they they keep talking about you know what's going on with the Cardassians and you know Cisco says there's a bigger issue which is the the Maquis and she just says oh you know they're a bunch of irresponsible hotheads. Um, you know, but Cisco thinks this is a real problem. And then she says, we never should have allowed those colonists to remain on the Cardassian side of the demilitarized zone. So that's, a, I think, a direct reference to what happens in, in Journey's End, where at the end they have to have kind of a compromise where it's like, okay, if you, pe- if you are okay with staying on the Cardassian side, you can do that. But I think she's regretting that they couldn't kind of force the issue and, and force them out like she had originally gotten orders for. Mm-hmm. So she has, I think, some regrets that she's... I mean, I don't think 
she isn't in the end of Journey's End when they make that compromise, but I think it's clear they've talked to Starfleet. Maybe Picard's talked to her oh, and they've come they to this compromise. Oh, they would have had to have. Yeah. yeah, they would have had to but, talk to Starfleet. But I think it's interesting. Like, she's seeing this this new, well, I don't know if she's never seen Cisco before, but, I mean, it kind of seems like it. Um, and she's admitting these, these re- regrets to him. Um, and then she asks him about, you know, Hudson and what his analysis is. And Cisco has this really uncomfortable look, like, I'll have to ask him. Like, he knows that he's basically left Starfleet and is part of the Maquis, but he's kind of lying to Nechev that he knows anything about it, right? Yeah. Well, she, we know, all know what she would have basically said about it is like, okay, I know he's your friend, but now he's the enemy because he's siding with the Maquis. They're causing unrest. They're taking us to the brink of war and you have to do something about this. So we know what she would have said. That's why he fudged the truth a bit. Yeah. Cause she would have been like, okay, hunt him down right, right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is basically what he does. I mean, he does go find him. It kind of, but, it kind of does do that. Yeah. But, but like, okay. So the, I guess the last part of, of this is that it seems like from what Cisco is is saying that, you know, he's saying the Cardassians aren't honoring their part of the treaty. And she's like, are you questioning Federation policy? And he's just like, I know that the situation is deteriorating rapidly. And then Necheyev basically gives him his orders like, you're overstating the pro- the problem. Just establish a dialogue. I'm sure they'll listen to reason. Good luck. <laughs> and she just like leaves, <laughs> leaves the office, right? But I think that's that's part of her style. It's, it's just like, you know, you you need to just do something about this situation. I need you to handle it. And then he does go into his rant, like the trouble is earth and it's, it's easy to be a saint in paradise, which is one of like probably the, the best speeches in all of Star Trek, but she's like yes. the inspiration to make him angry about this. And like, people don't understand us on the frontier kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I kind of get the feeling like she knew exactly what kind of reaction he was going to have to what she was saying. And she knew so he was going to have like a little rant in front of Kira afterwards. Yeah, no, I think that she just knew. I think she was, I think she was influencing his actions by being a little passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. basically saying what she knew anyone, you know, any admiral would say in the situation. Oh, I'm sure they'll listen to reason knowing it would drive him nuts but it would also get mm. the situation solved. She didn't tell him. It, I mean, she said, yes, establish a dialogue. I'm sure they'll listen to reason. But she didn't say anything else beyond that. So mm. she basically was leaving it up to him as how to handle it and lighting a fire under his bum to get it done by making huh. him angry. Interesting. I hadn't actually thought of it like that, but. That's, that's how I thought of it. But, you know, mm. I that may not be how the general populace thinks about it. So interesting. Well, uh, I, I want to also ask, like, in this first appearance, like, you know, what are your thoughts on her interaction with Cisco versus how she interacts with Picard? Well, I think that her interactions with Cisco are not nearly as abrupt as when she first started interacting with Picard because she has, I don't want to say she has softened a bit because she, it's not about being softer. Uh, it's about trying to look at the situation from another point of view. But in the end, she still has her orders because she's not the end all and be all of Starfleet. So she has her orders and she has to give other people their orders as well. So, but she, she knows that I, I feel like she knows that DS9 
operates in a much different way than any other Starfleet base. And mm -hmm. so she went in with a, an adjusted attitude so as not to just immediately alienate Cisco. Hmm. What do you think, Richard? So I saw... Okay, so if we're if we're gonna compare the interactions between Cisco and Picard, um, Picard uh, to me is a very experienced uh, captain, and mm -hmm. um, he weighs more when it comes to like experience. When it comes in, uh, maybe uh, maybe Nicheyev, uh doesn't have quite as much experience. Maybe she has uh, about the same, but she feels intimidated by the fact that he is the captain of the flag, uh, captain of the flagship, basically. Um, and is doing all this, uh, all these great deeds and whatnot. So when it comes to, like Cisco, the way I think that she or the character is portrayed is that he's inexperienced, but she also knows he's ex uh, he's also intelligent and enough to figure something out like this this kind of problem, the the, uh, the Maquis has the problem, and that because he's lower experienced but intelligent, she doesn't have to be that assertive sort of kind of person or at least that's how i saw um that's how i saw her interaction because she was like i don't want to I, I, she wasn't very forceful like she was with picard so it's interesting because i saw yeah. her as actually more forceful with cisco to the point that he got really angry about it but she didn't have to push his buttons very hard mm -mm. that's mm -hmm. why i'm saying like being inexperienced or being experienced, you you know where your limitations are. You already know uh, what kind of what kind of commander you are, or or, or even leader uh, leader at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get I I mean, as an example, freaking, I'm more calmer now than I ever was when I was in my twenties mm -hmm. about certain issues. Like if if someone was doing something like this uh, to me, like pushing my buttons or on something like that. But like it's the same it's the same thing with Cisco. Cisco's a way less experienced than. Picard, because like I think what his first command was, uh, his first commander job basically was the Saratoga, and it he lost mm -hmm. in battle, and ever since then he's been on Mars, until Deep Space yeah. died. So well, I mean, clearly Picard is a good deal. Older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's been through quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Huh, I mean, he almost killed the entire human race. <laughs> almost. Just almost, almost is the key almost. word there. Almost. Yeah, until he went to sleep. No, until he told Data <laughs> to put the Borg to sleep. So really, yeah, exactly, he that's what I'm saved saying. <laughs> all of humanity and humanoidal beings. Well, he killed like 11,000 no, it, it was a conversation but... Justin and I had about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's you're fine. okay. There's no reason to apologize. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So that was her first appearance on, on Deep Space Nine. But then, a little less than two weeks uh, later, in Preemptive Strike, uh, which is uh, Season 7, Episode 24 of The Next Generation, aired on May 14th, 1994, um, also one about the, the Maquis. And basically, that's the one where uh, Roe gets promoted to lieutenant and has an undercover mission with the Maquis and then becomes one of them. Um, <laughs> so, one of us. One, one of us. us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, okay, so this is only like a couple more, couple episodes after uh, Journey's End. And there's just like a little short interaction in, in this episode. So we may not talk about it for, for a little bit, but I love that as soon as, as Necheyev comes into the room to meet with Picard about you know, this, this Maquis situation. She's like, no Balerian canapes this time, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> That's still tea. <laughs> but he still has tea. But like, 
I mean, what what's really interesting is like, so she's kind of teasing him about this, and and he's like giving back. He said like about twice. It was kind of pushing it a little. So they and they're actually it's like a little bit different. I noticed like the body language is a little bit different. They're like sitting on the same. I guess couch in his in his ready room instead of you know being formally across a desk, and they have like this kind of back and forth. So, I I think what the gesture Picard made before has made it so that they're you know even like a, a little bit more informal and kind of understanding, and I think really you know have each other's respect. So it's like over time you really see her interaction with with Picard um, change and and. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and and then you know, once they have that that kind of back and forth, they're they're just kind of talking about the the situation, um, you know, honestly about what's going on and how difficult it is, and you know, it ends with with her saying like, "Oh, we think we have someone that can infiltrate the Maquis," and then it cuts to Roe doing that. But it seems like much, you know, less tense and more collaborative kind of at at this point. Like, I know it's a short scene, but what do you guys think about that? Well, she, you nope. go ahead, Richard. Uh, she definitely trusts him now. Uh, yeah, like you said, the body language is completely different. It's more of a a friend to a friend kind of conversation. But like it, instead of you know commander or admiral and captain, uh, but it's uh, definitely uh, uh, it, the 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 atmosphere of the whole entire conversation is. Uh, I mean, she understand. I mean, she understands where his moral compass is and what he'll probably do and all that kind of stuff. And she, and she's just basically telling him, Hey, this is what, we, and it seems like the chef and him are on the same, I guess, moral compass path or something like that. Or at least I would hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that's what it seems like that they're both on that same kind of path. Like this is what I would do if I was in your shoes sort of thing. So I understand where you're coming from. And, but this is the hard, uh, hard part about this conversation. And here you go sort of thing so yeah and and i kind of think all along that um she's been sympathetic to his point of view and and shares a lot of those you know ways of thinking and has tried to work to to get things done but you know if starfleet command gives an order she's just going to follow it so yeah i think at this point over the course of i don't know what it is like a, a year and a half or something like that as they've worked together and who knows Maybe they've worked together more than we've seen in just those those four episodes. They've really gotten to know each other well, and they work together. And Necheyev is very. What's interesting is, you know, this aired shortly after that Deep Space Nine episode, and she's very kind of um, sympathetic to the Maquis situation in this episode. And she says, "Like, believe me, if I were living that close to the Cardassians, I'd keep a phaser under my pillow too." Right? Whereas. In the appearance with Cisco, it's like the Maquis are irresponsible hotheads. Just talk to them. And, you know, maybe like from the experience, like the aftermath of what happens in that episode. And since then, her point of view has has changed a little bit. I find that really interesting because her way of talking about the Maquis is quite different in that little interaction here. It is indeed. And I think a lot of her, a lot of her attitude and body language in this episode also has to do with the fact that Picard did make her feel welcome. And so when she goes to the Enterprise, she now knows that she is welcome and her attitude is completely different. She doesn't have to be uh, so assertive to get her point across. And in most cases, like you said, she probably agrees with Picard. But again, she's got her orders. She has to deliver more orders. and But at least she has the the 
the uh, courtesy to deliver them face to face. I like that about her. It's like, yeah, it's not just somebody on a view screen that you never meet, never know anything about. She's an actual person. Yeah. And we find that out. It's great. Yeah. And I, I like that too. And it, I think it's interesting because like when you have an interaction, like I guess in Star Trek over a, a view screen or, you know, even in a podcast remotely, it's different than meeting someone in person. Like there's all kinds of different things you can pick up in a different type of interaction. And oh, she's, yes. and she's clearly the person that's like to get a complete read on this situation, I need to be there in person. And she does that like every time. And I like that a lot because you do see other admirals where it's like, all right, you know, get it done. But I get the sense that when you see her, she is, you know, the admiral that's responsible for that sector. So she's probably mm-hmm. not too far away or maybe trailing the Enterprise looking for issues. But <laughs> <laughs> she's she's just out of sensor range. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> just following they, they him might through need the galaxy. me and I might need to make a, a, a call here. So I'll just stay within a few light years. I don't know. But it seems like she's kind of the admiral for that sector as opposed to being an admiral at command that's that's headquartered on Earth. So maybe it's more mm-hmm. possible. But I do like that kind of personal um, to touch to things. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and that is her last appearance on, on the next generation. It was, you know, the second to last episode of, of the whole series. Um, but she did make one more appearance on deep space nine, which we'll, we'll talk. Well, about. I don't know if it's an appearance. It's well, a cheat. <laughs> okay. The actress, Natalia <laughs> Nagulich appeared as a version of Admiral Necheyev. There you yeah. go. Okay, how's that? Um, <laughs> and, and it'll be interesting to talk about that. Be- I mean, I want to talk about it because it is Necheyev appearing, but spoilers if you haven't seen it, The Search mm-hmm. Part 2, but that's really an illusion and not her. Mm. <laughs> so that was Season 3, Episode 2, aired October 3rd, 1994. So maybe we'll just talk about that a, a little bit because, um, yeah, it does turn out, I mean, you don't know when you're first seeing it, but it does turn right. out that this this is an illusion by the Dominion to try to figure out if their strategy will help to to kind of take over Deep Space Nine and, and, and Bajor. And what's interesting in the in this episode, I think, is that Necheyev is portrayed as as someone who, you know, is kind of cozied up to the Dominion representative and is like, we're just going to do this. You got to get it done. And it makes Cisco like really angry. And like the only thing that I think about is like, okay, so based on Cisco's, I think, only interaction before, does it seem plausible that she would be like this to him? Because I think for us, like seeing her in the next generation, it seems a bit off, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It seems more than a more bit than a off bit. Okay. to me. Quite a bit. <laughs> because the first time I saw this, uh, which granted, I did not watch all of Deep Space Nine when it was first airing. And so it was only within the last five years that I saw all of the episodes. But when I saw this episode, I'm like, okay, there's no way that that <laughs> is really Admiral Necheyev. Huh. Is this a changeling pretending to be her? Because okay. she would never say these things. But you didn't and think th- this is an illusion because you thought it was I wasn't just thinking like a illusion. or something. No, okay. no at first mm-hmm. I was not thinking illusion until uh, Kira found the doors. And then I thought, uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh, is this a simulation? <laughs> so that's when I got clued into that. But but yeah, at first I thought, I never thought that it was actually Admiral Necheyev. I just felt that she was completely out of character. Mm-hmm. And your explanation of how that's how Cisco would have perceived her, I agree with that. I think that that's how he would have perceived her. He didn't know her that well. And she was the person in that other episode that didn't understand what it was like on the frontier, right? So he yep. could probably be like, 
oh man, you know, this, this admiral is totally out of touch. I can't believe she's doing this. And he would kind of believe the illusion. Whereas us having the previous knowledge of what she's like on the next generation would be like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. So it's one of those interesting things where we as the audience, I think, are a little more clued into it than the character that's participating, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just always viewed Nishayev as very fair. Mm-hmm. And so for her to just be cozying up to the Dominion and trying to ram all of this uh, treaty stuff through, I just thought, nope, no, mm-hmm. she would never do that. She would never do that with someone she hardly knows. Never. Well, and you know what the sad thing is? Like, I, I took a look at this and compared, you know, the number of scenes and lines. Like, she probably, this is her biggest role in Star I Trek. I know, that's the worst part. Oh, like, Because I think she's in like four different different scenes. She gets, you know, a bunch of lines. It's probably twice as much as, as the nearest competitor because she's usually in like one or two scenes. But this is actually her biggest role. And it just makes me think like, oh, you know, I wish that we could have have seen her her more on The Next Generation or on Deep Space Nine because she really just got a few appearances and like the most fleshed out appearance isn't really her and she's not acting like she would. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ironic. It is a bit ironic, but hey, what an impression she left because I never forgot about Nicheyev. She's unforgettable. So I would love was- to see uh, Picard... Uh, in this simulation and just see what oh you know, ba- <laughs> you, know you know what I mean like yes. you're like like oh no we're not even gonna touch the federation forget that <laughs> it's like uh-uh. it's like no way these guys are just hardcore bloodthirsty people no <laughs> no just I mean, yeah, imagine, like, I, I would love to see it. imagine if as part of that simulation like picard was coming as a federation representative and you know we we see him we're like what what's picard doing like, yeah person you need to kill first no. is picard but, but, but okay so but that would have been really interesting of course because you know at the beginning of the series cisco basically blames picard for the death of his wife right so like mm-hmm, what if mm-hmm. picard came back in in the simulation and and he might have every reason to think that picard would would do something terrible like that you know based on his past experience because yeah. like so that's the interesting thing i think cisco has a very different view of picard and you know the world we see in tng than you know that then then we might you know being a part of the show so or, or being you know, thinking of, of TNG by itself. So it's just like yeah. an interesting kind of way of, of like a variation on, on the character. So I, I like mm-hmm. that she was in DS9 and we can talk about the comparison and there are some things that, that, that continue forward a, a little bit, but, but, you know, definitely her strongest performances are in the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. But, um, okay, so let's actually go around with a few final thoughts now that we've talked about all of the six episodes that Admiral Necheyev was in. Uh, Richard, your final thoughts. You know, um, thinking back uh, to when I was a kid and then comparing to now and, and then even this conversation, I find that, uh, I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I quickly judged her in not saying anything, but, uh, but like, <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, I guess I, I fell into that little, um, stereotype of, um, the assertiveness of women back then. It, it must've been, or I don't, or maybe I just don't like her period. Um, I don't know. Or at least back then, but like, um, yeah, think, uh, talking about her now and, uh, thinking about what was going on around that time, make, it makes sense on her care on, uh, the build of her character and whatnot. And it's, it's, um, it definitely shed a, a brighter light on, 
on those uh, dark uh, dark parts of our character. So I really, I really, I'm glad we had this conversation because I, it really uh, put a, puts a better insight on her. And um, yeah, I would love to talk to her now. Come to think of it, I should have talked to her on at, at Star Trek Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, like Justin yeah. did. Uh, That's yes. right. Yeah, <laughs> listeners, if you haven't heard it on episode 200, there's there's an interview I did with Natalia Nagulich um, so at good. Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's only like eight or ten minutes, but it was fun because she had some interesting perspectives about the character, about working with Patrick Stewart, and about working with Avery Brooks, and, and all the stuff that she uh, has going on now. So, mm. so yeah. yeah, that was that was great to to talk with her. <laughs> um. Actually, uh, let me give my final thoughts next. Um, so yeah, I think the the first time that I saw the Next Generation, I, I don't think I quite liked Nechea because she was somebody that would come in from the outside and was felt like giving Picard a hard time with things that he was struggling with. But I've come to appreciate her character a lot more, and also that she is, you know, one of those. Um, admirals that never gets like co-opted by an alien force isn't corrupt or out for power Um, she's basically doing her job and doing it well even though some of those situations are are really difficult uh, to to give those orders and she recognizes that and she tries to do some things you know on, on Picard's behalf so I think she's doing a good job at 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 what she's she's doing um and you know, like sometimes, okay, to make a comparison to, to Deep Space Nine, I mean, sometimes people talk about Admiral Ross on Deep Space Nine as being like a good admiral, not a bad admiral. But there is one episode where he's kind of in cahoots with Section 31 that makes you wonder, right? But like when you see Necheyev, she like is that admiral that like there's not even like a hint of, of you know, corruption or she's out for power or she's kind of dealing with these dark organizations or anything like that. She's just there to do her job. And I appreciate that so much. And I think she made a great impact, um, you know, on Star Trek by being a part of it. I wish there was more, uh, appearances. Um, I'm sure we probably get some appearances in the novels that I haven't read yet, but, but anyway, I've just come to a much greater appreciation. I'm glad we could take a look at it through this lens and kind of compare the appearances. I like that when we do that with characters and just kind of just focus on those characters and see how they move through the series because I think we get quite a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Brandy, what are your final thoughts? Well, first of all, um, all I can think of now is doing it and doing it and doing it well. Because, <laughs> you know. Doing her job and doing it well. That's all oh, that song that just automatically oh, wow. <laughs> started playing. Sorry. Anyway, um, I I liked Nechea from her first appearance, and she grew on me as a character throughout the rest of her appearances to the point where I knew when it was not really her. And I, <laughs> I, I feel like as far as her motivation for being an admiral is really – the protection of Starfleet and the Federation. I think that that is her number one priority and how refreshing to have an incorruptible Admiral. It was just really great. And representation matters. It was great for 19, 20 year old me to see a woman in that level of power 
on Star Trek who wasn't being talked about as being a shrew or whatever behind her back. I mean, maybe they did on, I would hope that they didn't actually do that in, you know, you can imagine, well, maybe some of the lower crewmen was like, Admiral in the chair, she's, uh." but, um, but I appreciated that we never saw any of that really on screen because that was really important to me. Yeah. Because, you know, at that age, I was starting to realize, oh, I am treated differently than other people. Okay, okay. This is what the real world's like. Got it. So uh, she is forever one of the highlights for me of Next Generation because her performance is great. I love the actress. And uh, talking about her today has, again, just made her even much more dear to me. So really enjoyed this. Oh, very nice. I mean, and also the thing it makes me think about is that, you know, Picard had to take orders from her and 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 follow them or do his best because like he struggles with it, but I don't think he ever tries to really subvert it like, oh, that oh no. Nechayev, I'm going to refuse her order. And yeah. any tension that comes up, you get the sense in the dialogue, even when he's talking with Riker, that the tension and the difficulties are because she's an admiral, not because she's a female admiral, exactly. just because she's an admiral, right? Yes, mm-hmm. It exactly. doesn't matter who it would be. It's because of that being an admiral that she's a pain for him and that's so, and appreciated that. that's yeah. appreciated very much by me yes <laughs> yeah well brandy it's been wonderful having you on earl gray today so um let our listeners where they can find you out there oh i would be happy to and thank you so much for having me it's i was super excited for this so i love next generation uh so yeah uh you can find me on live from the edge which will air monday nights the day after an episode of discovery new episode excuse me of discovery has aired and that broadcasts live on youtube at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific i also do a podcast with my husband called the dark corner podcast where we look at pop culture and also some very odd things through a darker lens And uh, I do have a lot of colorful metaphors that I use in that show. So it is not for children or people who are offended by uh, some uh, colloquial swearing. And uh, I'm always hanging out on the Babel Conference. Sometimes I comment. Mostly I lurk until uh, I feel like, nope, I just have to say something here. And then I comment. And uh, yeah, and who knows what other things you might hear about on Trek FM in the future. You never know where I might pop up. Excellent. Well, it's been it's been really wonderful having you on today. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. Especially so funny because Amy is now traveling to her home state of Utah. <laughs> and I'm already <laughs> here and happy to happy to not really fill her shoes, but to provide that third voice in her Oh, that Absence. drive. <laughs> it's not, it's a, I've made that drive more than once and it is really boring. It is a really yeah. boring drive. I did that a couple of years ago going from Salt Lake City to Vegas and yeah, you know, I think I, you I, know. I got a ticket. I got a ticket on that um, oh, highway. Yeah, my car yeah. loves to go 80. She gets really excited when we get in that stretch where, oh, here, 80 is the speed limit. I'm going 85. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And then it drops down to 65 and the cops right there, right up to that sign. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh, I'm, I'm like super paranoid about that. So I'm always just like immediately slowing down people riding my tail. Yeah. I'm like, buddy, there's two lanes here. You can go around. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not yeah, when get I got the lower. ticket, it was night. <laughs> yeah. So that I didn't happens. see him. Yeah. 
It's oh yeah, that drive is hard in the daylight, but in the night, it's like oh, please just let me stay awake long enough to get home alive. Yep, yep. So boring, <laughs> such a boring drive. <laughs> well, it's been so fun talking about Admiral Necheyev, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. Exactly. I mean, like Arsenal of Freedom, like there's plot A, plot B, and plot C, if you look at it. I mean, this episode really has a lot going because when I think of Arsenal of Freedom, I don't think of it as a Geordi episode, but yet we've just mentioned two really important uh, moments with Geordi and him taking command and, you know, building his character. So it's, it's a great episode. Stage nine a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I mean, it's, you know, there's a scene with a bear and Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, whatever. I, As I understand it, it's not a pleasant scene. It, They're not high five each other. It's pretty intense, you know. It, yeah. I wouldn't say it's unbearable, ah. but it's pretty intense. Waka waka. <laughs> anyway. The 602 Club. For me, it, first of all, only being the second Star Wars book I've ever read, um, I like the difference of having a series of short stories and not just one novel by one author like the Claudia Gray book that I read, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Okay, so I'm reading this really great book that I recommend. It's The Ultimate Star Trek and Philosophy, The Search for Socrates. Um, it's it's a collection of stories from all different authors, um, and it's it's been on my bookshelf for a year. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in the Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple or Apple T or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star reading and review and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join is to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel. B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Richard, where can people find you? Well, uh, they can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And they can also find me on uh, Twitter uh, at xransom, uh, talking about my brand new dog, Trigger. (laughs) (laughs) So, Justin, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Uh, Currently tweeting out my season four rewatch of The Next Generation. 
And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, and Michael Huter. Thank you guys for supporting us, uh, Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Things are only impossible until they're not.